did the UN finally agree to protect the ocean? And why is a main utility ballot measure so significant? It's time for this week's climate recap. Hit the subscribe button below if you want to stay updated on the climate crisis and clean energy transition. Canada is battling hundreds of wildfires right now, and most of them are still out of control. Nearly every province and territory is affected. This fire season is on track to being the worst in the country's history, thanks to an unusually dry and hot May. Experts are already pointing to climate change as a huge factor for this, though we'll need to wait for an attribution study to come through to determine just how much of this event is due to climate change. In general, though, Canada's Natural Resource Agency says climate change will likely double the amount of acreage burned in a Canada wildfire season by the end of the century. Unlike California, Canadian forests, which are mainly boreal, don't usually have wildfires sweeping through. These events are a once-in-a-century kind of things, but now they're happening much more often. The fires have burned 1,400% more lands than usual for this time of year. Tens of thousands of Canadians have had to evacuate, but thankfully no deaths have been reported so far. But that could change because these fires are not expected to let up until possibly the end of the summer. The U.S., France, South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, Costa Rica, and Mexico have sent nearly a 1,000 firefighters to Canada's aid over the past few weeks. The smoke from the Quebec fires have blown over the eastern U.S., causing New York City to officially have the worst air quality in the world two weeks ago. Now the air quality there is considered moderate, but it could get bad again depending on which way the wind blows. People have been hospitalized from smoke exposure. Peru is battling the worst outbreak of dengue fever on record right now, thanks to unusually wet and warm weather. The country saw record rainfall in March. As a reminder, dengue fever is spread through mosquitoes, one of the many pests that will thrive in a warming world. It causes a high fever, serious organ failure, and death. By the end of May, Peru recorded about 110,000 cases this year, according to its National Center of Epidemiology, Prevention, and Control of Diseases. At least 114 people have died. The World Health Organization says the number of people impacted by dengue fever globally has increased tenfold since the year 2000. The El Nino will likely exacerbate conditions. To try to reduce the impact, the Peruvian government has banned people from storing still water in open containers and from trying to treat themselves at home. Speaking of the El Nino, it's officially here, according to scientists. It could last until 2024 and cause the Earth to temporarily reach 1.5 degrees Celsius warmer than pre-industrial levels within the next five years. This wouldn't mean that the planet has passed that temperature threshold permanently, but it would give us a taste of the future. Many places are already experiencing record hot temperatures as we speak, including Siberia, northern China, India, the UK, and the southern US. Many parts of the ocean are also seeing record temperatures, spelling disaster for marine ecosystems and increasing the chance of strong storms. But speaking of the ocean, the United Nations finally adopted a treaty to monitor and conserve the high seas. The high seas represent two-thirds of the ocean, any place that goes beyond a country's designated zone, basically international waters. Because there has never been any formal agreement on how to take care of this part of the ocean, it has left the space vulnerable to overfishing, pollution, and disruptive fossil fuel exploration. This treaty, known as the Biodiversity Beyond National Jurisdiction Treaty, was approved by the 193 member states and will help the world keep its promise to conserve 30% of lands and waters by 2030. Biodiversity is essential for maintaining a stable climate, especially in the ocean, which takes up a vast majority of man-made greenhouse gases and warming and provides most of the oxygen we breathe. 
Some of the key aspects of the treaty include forming marine protective areas, establishing standards and guidelines to determine environmental impacts of high seas activities, creating a conference of the parties or COP to monitor and enforce compliance of the treaty, and creating a way for all countries to access the latest marine technology to provide equal access to what the seas can offer. The treaty will officially go into effect 120 days after at least 60 UN member states ratify it. For the U.S., that means the Senate must approve ratification. Russia has made it clear it doesn't like the treaty, but China has shown continued interest in supporting the effort. We'll have to see how long it takes for 60 countries to go through the ratification process and which countries those are. The goal is for this to happen before the U.N. Oceans Conference in June 2025. Back in the U.S., New Mexico banned the development of new oil and gas leases located within a mile of schools, daycare centers, and sports facilities after the state was sued by residents and environmental activists. This is the first time the state has issued any form of setback requirements. The suit claimed that about 7% of the state's population worked, lived, or went to school within half a mile of fossil fuel operations already. Proponents of fossil fuel operations say there's no concern having facilities existing that close and that it provides money for education and social services. However, the Environmental Protection Agency documents that living that close to a fossil fuel operation can lead to increased risk of asthma and lung and heart disease, among other health conditions. The state land office estimates there could be nearly 120 schools within one mile of oil and gas operations on federal, state, tribal, and private lands in New Mexico alone. So while this new moratorium on new construction is a positive step, the current infrastructure has no sign of going anywhere. What do you think of the new setback rule? Let me know, especially if you live in New Mexico. Do you like what you're hearing so far? If so, considering subscribing to this channel. And if you're on Twitch, I stream news like this every Tuesday and Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. All the info can be found in the description below. Now back to the news. The insurance giant State Farm announced it would stop selling new insurance to property owners in California, both commercial and residential. To be clear, this won't mean existing insurance holders will lose coverage, but they won't be able to renew. The insurance giant said it made this decision due to, quote, historic increases in construction costs outpacing inflation, rapidly growing catastrophic exposure, and a challenging reinsurance market. State Farm is the biggest insurance provider of homeowners insurance in the state, especially after other big names like Allstate, Liberty Mutual, and Nationwide began quietly pulling back on offering homeowners insurance in California over the last few years for the same reason. Homeowners can still get insurance from the California Fair Plan. Insurance companies are also raising premiums or pulling out of areas in Texas, Louisiana, and Florida due to increased risk of fires, floods, and hurricanes. Do you think it makes sense for insurance companies to pull out of risky areas like this? Let me know your thoughts, especially if you're impacted by these policy changes. The most ironic part is that State Farm is the number one insurance company when it comes to fossil fuel funding. It provided $30.9 billion to fossil fuel-related infrastructure in 2019, according to the Senate Budget Committee, which recently launched an investigation into the top seven major insurance carriers. The lawmakers argued that the companies haven't been transparent about how they calculate climate risks into their coverage and risk assessments and are still investing about $528 billion into fossil fuel operations. 
So the committee sent letters to State Farm, Liberty Mutual, Bankshire Hathaway, AIG, Travelers Insurance, Chubb, and Star requesting information on their relationships with fossil fuel companies and their plans to meet Paris Climate Accord goals of keeping warming well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. The committee also requested information into how the insurance companies calculated the growing risks from climate change and their future coverage methodologies. The companies have until June 23rd to provide this information. Do you think this will go anywhere? Let me know your thoughts. North Carolina has been doing a lot recently, and none of it helpful to the clean energy transition. State lawmakers approved a bill prohibiting local governments from creating ordinances that would block new gas infrastructure. About half of the country has either approved or is working on making similar rules, while the other half is moving towards electrifying buildings to reduce the sector's emissions. North Carolina lawmakers also approved a measure that bans state agencies from using environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, standards to screen potential investments, award contracts, or fire employees. According to the state senators that voted for this measure, it's not the state's job to determine if a company has good sustainability goals or if it benefits a community. Lawmakers that opposed the bill raised concerns that the language is vague on what criteria it would prohibit. This second measure follows a growing trend started by North Dakota and Idaho to fight what they deem as woke efforts. What do you think of these measures? Let me know, especially if you live in North Carolina. 16 young Montanans headed for the courthouse last week to make final arguments for their one-of-a-kind climate case against their state. The plaintiffs, ages 5 to 22, sued Montana and Health v. Montana back in 2020, alleging that state officials are violating their constitutional right to a healthy environment by enacting pro-fossil fuel policies. Montana's state constitution guarantees the, quote, state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations since 1972. Montana gets 42% of its energy from coal and has some of the largest coal reserves in the country, according to the Energy Information Administration. Some of the plaintiffs have asthma that has been worsened by wildfire smoke. Another plaintiff is a ski instructor whose job is being threatened by a warming climate. And other plaintiffs are members of indigenous tribes whose cultural traditions are being threatened by changing weather patterns. The namesake of the suit, 22-year-old Ricky Held, claimed her family's farm operations have been harmed by worsening drought conditions. The state's defense argues Montana has too little of an impact on climate change to be held responsible. The state judge narrowed what could come from the case if the plaintiffs win, stating she would not order officials to formulate a new approach to address climate change. Instead, she would issue a declaratory judgment saying the state violated the Constitution, and that could create a new legal precedent for courts weighing on similar cases in the future. We'll have to keep an eye on this case. What do you think of the plaintiff's arguments? A measure on Maine's ballot this next election cycle in November could set a new precedent for the country. Maine is asking its constituents to vote on whether they want to have the state buy up the two main utility companies' infrastructure to form a public utility company instead. The ballot measure was created by the activist group Our Power, who says this effort was spurred by a lot of public interest in tackling climate change. Many believe that the clean energy transition would happen faster if utilities were owned by the state, since many state utilities have had a history of fighting clean energy transition efforts. This new utility company, called Pine Tree Power, would be run by a 13-member board made up of a mix of residents from across the state and designated experts. The board would hire a private grid operator through a competitive bidding process. 
This would be the first time a whole state would attempt something like this. Similar efforts are usually done at a city level in a process called municipalization. Since 2000, more than 60 communities have considered municipalization, but only nine have gone through the process. Maine might be a prime location for this to happen because there's also a lot of disdain in the state against the two private utility companies, Central Maine Power, or CMP, and Versant Power, who many residents see as unreliable, expensive, and out of touch. Clean energy advocates argue the companies are taking their sweet time connecting large solar projects to the grid, too. CMP and Versant Power's parent companies have already outspent the initiatives advertising 17 to 1, essentially using Maine citizen money to fund a huge PR effort potentially against their interests. The utility companies are frankly scared because if this ballot passes, the companies will die. So they spent $18.4 million to form three ballot committees to fight the initiative. The largest, deceptively called Maine Affordable Energy, has paid former state legislators to speak out against this ballot initiative and spent thousands of dollars on Facebook ads. This election will definitely be something to watch out for this fall. What do you think of the initiative? Let me know, especially if you live in Maine. And that was your large climate recap for the week. If you want more news, check out the source list below for more news stories that I found important. And if you found this information useful, please like and share this video so more people can see it. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Thank you so much to the people on Patreon who helped support me and my fur baby, Rue. A special shout out to the climate confident and courageous David H., Norman Anal, Greg H., Paul B., Phil Plasma, Dan Morton, Nate, Specker, Bree C., Climate Teacher John J., Deanne, Steve, Kevin Morton, and SKP Joe Corsgold. I greatly appreciate your support of $5 or more. If you would like to support the Becca Sphere, please check out the Patreon and buy me a coffee links in the description below for reoccurring or one-time payments. Bye for now.